Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Big week in sports as always. No more baseball. What a tremendous World Series. NASCAR finally two weeks away from getting it done. We'll have a guy who runs Phoenix in a few minutes at the end of our discussion today. But our discussion covers football and NBA and a whole host of things. And to get more specific with that, Amy Tenry, digital editor for Reuters. How are you? I'm excellent. How are you? It feels like it's been a while. Well, that's because it has been a while. We've been, uh, you know, filled up with uh, Dan Calaruso. And for baseball metaphors, Dan Calaruso is now Wally Pip. He steps out of the lineup and Lou Gehrig takes over and the rest is history. Here I am. Yeah, here comes some quality. So let's get first of all into this political bickering about the Republican tax bill. But the piece of it that's really interesting is the sports piece, tax breaks for communities and states that borrow money to fund stadiums. There are a lot of them in progress. The Republicans are on one side. The NFL and other sports are pushing back. How do you frame this? Well, it's it's interesting to me because from my perspective, the NFL has been the most vocal um, against this tax provision that um, you know would impact municipal bond tax exemptions that are really vital to teams being able to to build these stadiums. And of course, they're looking to expand out to Las Vegas uh, with the the move from the Raiders from Oakland out there and they're going to be building a stadium. Um, what's interesting to me is that while the NFL has been, in my mind, I guess, the most vocal against these tax provisions, I haven't heard a whole lot from the NBA, MLB, NHL. And um, I, I'm wondering if we're going to see them become as vocal as the NFL is. What I'm curious to see is if these other you know, leagues get involved at the level that the NFL is, become as vocal, if they become united, if these four leagues form this coalition, how, how influential do you think they can be in, um, in, in getting their way in this tax bill? The leagues are already communicating. There is a coalition, but it hadn't done too much in this area. And uh, uh, my take is that it's in the self-interest of all of these other leagues, in addition, because the financing deals of public-private partnerships are basically the same. The tax breaks are based on community good. The mayors really, really want this because of the economic development that's generated and the community pride. And by the way, it's not just the major leagues. You know, major leagues, you know, there are over 200 minor league baseball facilities that are being done all over the country as well. And so the issue is, is this going to be a strong enough issue for the mayors and others to claim the drivers of economics in local communities, or does this kind of go out with the bathwater? And the Vegas stadium issue is relying in many ways on the difference between tax-exempt and taxable bonds on their structure, the Cleveland Quicken Loans Arena, and many, many other modernizations that will happen in the future. Seventy-seven of the leases of all four major leagues come up for renewal soon, so they're all looking for capital improvements. And so this is a big issue not to be minimized. No, yeah, absolutely. And and, and part of me wonders, and, and maybe I'm being a little melodramatic here, but do you think that if these provisions do go through, would that perhaps put the Raiders' move to Vegas in jeopardy? 
Well, I think someone will come up with a missing piece, although right now you hear the argument that this is critical and really important. I'm not sure if it's kind of a death knell. But, you know, more important than that, the, the local uh, uh, mayors are, are making this a major issue. Uh, I don't think it rises to the level of killing a deal, but it certainly mm. rises to the level of reversing policy that's caused 100 of these deals to be done in the last 20 years. It certainly bears watching, and of course, what also bears watching, you'll set it up, but I'll set it up to set it up, is I'm, t- I'm tired. I'm watching a lot of football. I went to a kind of a decent game that turned bad, the Dolphins and the Raiders, the week before, the Dolphins and the, and the uh, uh, Ravens, and we don't have a whole lot of scoring. We got a lot of big guys who are out. What's this all about? Yeah, well, I mean, we were sort of tallying it up, and it looks like, you know, there's just a whole host of some of the biggest celebrities in the league who are out with really, in some cases, pretty horrific injuries. We have, you know, Texans rookie quarterback Deshaun Watson. He's out with an ACL tear, and he's been so exciting to watch and succeed. And we also have franchise players like Andrew Luck, Odell Beckham Jr., Aaron Rodgers. They're all out, and to say nothing of the Bears tight end Zach Miller, who suffered an absolutely horrendous injury and almost lost his leg in the process. Doctors had to fight to save it. So, you know, this is obviously could have an impact on viewership. Um, Do you think that it's going to keep people from from watching on Sundays? And if it does, what does the NFL need to do here right now to kind of get people back and watching the games? Well, indirectly it might, because uh, let's take the Texans, for example. I was there doing a a couple of interviews with their uh, president, Jamie Roots, and, and others. And, you know, J.J. Watt and Deshaun Watson together being injured, and you have a team that I think now is 3-6, and 3-5, and five, uh, that causes a, a team that had ex- exceptionally high expectations to look mediocre, and, and that's what will keep fans away. And so it's not just the superstar, but it's the impact on those particular home teams. You know, to watch the Packers without Aaron Rodgers this week is – is, is uh, I guess, uh, watching a Picasso finger paint, maybe? I don't know. But the bottom line of all of this is that uh, 277 players on injured reserve last season, this year 295, so it's not just the superstars. Yeah, and it's I think there's a psychological impact of, of watching your team and seeing your star player in pain and, and getting carted off the field. It's... I, I, it's sad, and, it, and it, I think it makes people not want to turn on uh, the games. It'll be interesting. I, you know, I I think you and I were chatting earlier about there were a couple of really high profile on on the field physical altercations past Sunday, and uh, in a way, it felt a little bit like a metaphor for the the league in general this season. Just that it's almost like a powder keg. There's there are so many critical issues facing the league, and and I have to wonder how they're going to be able to manage all of them. Well, if you mean by physical altercations, stupid, idiotic fights, I'm with you. And uh, Yes, that's you know, exactly the, what I meant. Yeah, well, you know, they throw the flag for 15 yards, and sometimes the coaches say, what, what are you doing? Why are you out there? Just cost us. Um, they can't do a lot about it other than to enforce a lot of this. Uh, referees seem to be clamping down. The metaphor about the league is digging itself out of a hole. The whole social protest issue, I think, is taking a step in the right direction. And as I told Dan last week... Let's visit this in th- during Thanksgiving, and I think we're going to see a league, uh, you would hope, uh, on the rebound. Because, again, the superstars drive this league, and I think that's really important, which I think segues into 
superstardom the NBA started. E-Poll Market Research unveiled its annual list of the most marketable players. Stephen Curry slightly edged out LeBron James, even though Curry is much more appealing and LeBron inspires a little more awareness. But Durant, Nowitzki, and James, that's top five, and three of them have sneaker deals. Two of them don't with the American uh, uh, companies. By that, we mean uh, Under Armour yeah, a little bit, but uh, also Nike and, and, and Adidas more. Greek Freak, Lonzo Ball are there as well. And so Lonzo Ball has the lowest appeal of anybody, 29%. How about Dad? Daddy, listening. Oh, gosh, I know. It's... It, it, it's 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 surprising to see how low the appeal is there, considering how much hype there was um, leading into you know this season. I, I you know the thing that did you know kind of stand out to me the most when when I saw this list was that we have Steph Curry at number one. He's by this measure the most marketable player in the NBA, but he's the face of a brand that's in crisis. I mean, Under Armour's stock has been plummeting throughout the year. Steph Curry's sneaker sales have been disappointing tremendously. So I'm I'm confused when I see this. I don't understand where the, the disconnect happens. How do you have this marketable player with a brand that's tanking? Well, it's a good point, and we talked about it earlier. And of course, the answer is you can have the face of the brand and you pay a lot for it. Under Armour, Steph Curry, uh, and, and, uh, and Jordan Spieth, uh, and Bryce Harper. But you got to have the distribution system. And Under Armour, not being shut out criminally or civilly, but it's very hard for a, 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 a new company or relatively young company to get the distribution and brand awareness of Adidas or a, uh, or a Nike. Um, and that's part of the issue. So, you know, as you said very well, um, the stock is tanking, the brand is tanking, but it's not because of Steph Curry. If Steph Curry wasn't there, it may tank even more. That's a fair point. I, I, it'll be interesting to see if they can turn this around. I don't know if that means they need to rethink the uh, much derided Steph Curry sneaker, um, the aesthetics of which, in my mind, leave much to be desired. But I guess that's personal opinion. Tenery on medical. She talked about who was injured. Tenery on sneaker design. And now she starts with an incredible segue. We talked about it earlier. We didn't know what we were going to do. And she says, turn it around. Around and around and around. Auto racing. Phoenix Raceway Project, two weeks before the final race of NASCAR, the ISM company cuts a deal with the Phoenix Raceway, ISM Connect, starting next year with the opening of their new $178 million facility, enhanced seatings, two fan entrances called Canyons, 400 HD displays, nine new elevators, four new escalators, half-mile DC solar power pavilion, uh, new media center. I'm juiced on this because Daytona did this, and now Phoenix is doing it, and the race is this next weekend, uh, two weeks before the NASCAR finale, and Brian Sperber is the entrepreneur who is the president of the Phoenix International Raceway, and in charge of the show, he has a lot to say. Here's Brian Sperber now. Brian Sperber, the president of Phoenix International Raceway, but so much more. How are you? Hey, Rick. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Um, we'll talk about the state of the industry in a minute, but the specific news as far as ISM Connect and a pioneer in smart venue technology and your multi-year partnership naming rights for the Phoenix International Raceway. I guess we call it something different starting in 2018. What's the deal? Yeah, I'm going to have to get new business cards printed up, I think. Um, yeah, yeah we will be going 
<laughs> I think so. Uh, we'll be going from Phoenix Raceway to ISM Raceway starting January of 2018. So uh, really exciting for us. And uh, the partnership, um, clearly there's a financial element. I think your listeners know that, um, and that's how kind of sports works. But uh, what made this opportunity even more exciting was the technology and innovation that ISM wanted to bring to the facility, which is really a tremendous complement to the bricks and mortar um, buildings that we are uh, putting in place. And so it really gives us kind of a 360 improvement here at what will now be ISM Raceway. And so I think the fans are going to be the big beneficiaries of all of this. Well, and, and yeah, get specific about it as well, because it, it sounds like the installation of this leading-edge digital fan engagement experience. It's a nice phrasing, but what does it really mean, and how is it going to benefit the fan? Sure. I think it starts with um, great connectivity. And, you know, as all of us are sports fans, you know, one of the things, especially the younger uh, sports fan, one of the things that they insist upon now in going to these large sports events is uh, connectivity, to be able to put a selfie up uh, on their page right away uh, is something that's very important to our guests. And so we will have a uh, uh, fully Wi-Fi enabled venue. Um, and as you know, these racing venues are, are rather large. And so somebody was telling me the other day, they believe that our Wi-Fi footprint will actually be the largest in the state of Arizona, which is, um, which is kind of cool. Um, and so our fans will now be able to um, seamlessly and, and conveniently um, connect to all their social media platform. So I think it starts with that. But um, what really makes the ISM uh, side of this um, super exciting is that not only will you be able to post those selfies, but you'll be able to really connect to all sorts of different types of content throughout the venue, which will be unique to the in-venue experience. And so imagine uh, being able to walk through, uh, say, our Midway, for example, and you'll see a a number of um, really cool video boards that will be um, producing all this very interesting content. And um, as you approach, uh, they have a technology which they were showcasing at the press conference that will immediately recognize you demographically. So, um, you know, in your case, Rick, you would walk up and they'd say you're a you know 22-year-old uh, individual uh, or thereabouts, and um, and then also um, it, it has the ability to um, assess your mood. So it was really cool during the press conference as people walked up and they saw. Um, uh, the video board, and then it immediately was able to tell them what mood they were in and how old they were. And so, the con- yeah, it's really amazing. So the content now can be tailored um, to you know to to that audience, and so the uh, the fans will now get to have you know access to really customized content. And then, as they move around the venue, um, there'll be um, all sorts of audio content uh, and other content that will be delivered directly to their phone based on. Uh, geographically where they are around the venue. So, for example, um, our brand-new tunnel that's being constructed um, in the dog leg, uh, that, that tunnel, for example, might be a, um, a, a history walk. And so as you go through the tunnel, uh, your phone will connect, and you'll be able to hear you know, about the history of what will be ISM Raceway, or there may be um, specific content about the racetrack that's unique and that um, you know, uh, some of the drivers might be um, might be sharing, and so you know, throughout the whole venue, it'll be it'll be much like that, where fans will really have a uh, a, a fully enriched um, live experience. Man, if I can find somewhere where they'll project me as a happy, enlightened 22-year-old individual, I'm all in, man. That, that, that's, that's what I'm thinking. I'm, I'm going to sell you a ticket here. I am all in. I'll, if, you're, if you're selling, I'm buying. But the more appropriate and kind of connection, and really the news story here for the general fan is the 
the naming with a synergistic partner in a $178 million raceway renovation project that is effectively a private investment for public good as it opens in November 18. So a lot of storylines there comment on all of that. Sure. You know, when we announced the project back in January, um, we were able to showcase some of the renderings of the designs that we had in mind. And clearly, you know, pe- people were talking about it being a renovation, and it's really not a renovation in my view. I think it's a brand new facility. And so as we showed these um, these renderings, I think folks got a real understanding of the incredible transformation that's going on here. And we, we really are building a brand new facility for, ranging from a new midway, a new sports bar, uh, grandstand seats, vertical transportation, the tunnel I mentioned earlier, and a real leading edge fan experience in the infield, which I kind of liken to Disneyland meets NASCAR, um, where fans will be able to get a real behind-the-scenes look at um, all the elements that go into a race that maybe previously they've not had a chance to experience, from ranging from NASCAR inspection uh, to pre-race uh, meetings. Uh, and then I think um, the real anchor of the fan zone will be access to the NASCAR garage. And so, um, you know, all of those things are were built into the call it bricks and mortar side of the equation. And and um, and now with the ISM relationship to be able to add the other side of the of the world, the the digital world, to really complete the picture. Um, the fans are are really poised to be able to enjoy you know what will be a, a truly leading edge experience physically and digitally, which will be very very unique. I don't. I'm not aware of any other motorsports venue uh, in the world, or, or or any other sports venue for that matter, that um, will be able to complete the circle the way that um, we intend to. Well, so ISE does it again. You know, 400 million dollars of investment, and they believe in the future in Daytona, and that becomes an entirely new experience and a similar uh, process with the 178 million for the Phoenix Raceway project as well. I assume all of it is geared to the long-term stability and enhancement of the product, and it starts with the facility. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, you know, over the years when we've seen um, motor racing, and in particular NASCAR, it, you know, enjoy the, a meteoric rise, we were really, you know, busting at the seams to be able to accommodate um, all the new fans that were coming, both from a um, traffic plan, parking, uh, concessions, restrooms, you know, really all the basics. Um, most of the venues that were on the circuit in those days were, you know, fairly old venues, and Phoenix Raceway is um, it certainly fits that bill, having been built in 19. 19- 64. And so, you know, here you've got this great scenario where there's a lot of new folks coming to check check you out and see see what um, what all the excitement is about your sport and yet you're probably letting them down because the facility is um, is overextended and not able to deliver the in-person uh, and live experience that uh, is commensurate with the quality of the product on the racetrack and and so I think over the last um, you know number of years, quite a few years now, um, the sport has recognized that and has started uh, making capital investments to greatly improve and enhance the live experience and make it more on par with what you'd find at other traditional sports venues. And um, that's, um, I think, really, really important for our sport to uh, to make that kind of a statement uh, about where the sport is going and to make sure that uh, we're staying in step with what um, what our fans of today and, and as importantly tomorrow are looking for in a um, in a sports venue. Well, Brian, the unsung uh, hero as far as the businessman that put the deal together, the perspective on this is something we ought to talk about because you take a look at the naming of 
arenas and football and baseball stadiums. It is commonplace. There is a set value of it, and you stay within that range, and you offer some dollars, and you negotiate. That's easy. But there aren't a whole lot of raceways that have been named uh, uh, for um, companies as well, especially raceways that are in the middle of a major renovation project that's become synergistic. So basically, how do you do it, and how do you find somebody that could advance the goal of making the facility look better in addition to putting more money in your pocket? Well, Rick, I think I think we're really fortunate that um, that uh, the timing of the construction project itself um, was was really fantastic as it related to you know ISM's business, and so those those two things you know sort of bubbled up together. And it, it you know, I, I'm never going to look luck in the eye, you know, if we can, uh, or you know, in the mouth, so to speak. But if if we can get luck, we'll take it. And I think in this case, there was certainly a, a, a an element of luck in that. Um, that our project was coming along at I think just just the right time, and so um, you know when the folks at ISM saw what we were building, and in, in, in the market that we're building, uh, building it, and they had an opportunity to jump in and um, and really kind of co-venture the finished product with us, uh, it made it I think really appealing, and 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 that got the conversations going, and then from there it it moved really quickly, and my experience over all these years has been that when something is right, it tends to go. Uh, very, very fast. And so I think they felt that that way. We certainly felt that way. And uh, we were able to um, reach a, an agreement fairly quickly. So it just really makes for an exciting time and uh, to see this facility come together physically and, and from a digital standpoint uh, and to really be, I, I, you know, I'm biased, but I think will be you know, clearly a show place for motor racing in this country is um, terribly exciting. Well, and, and, you know, looking, luck in the eye, the mouth, the face, wherever you want to look at it, the bottom line is that as history is written about the deal, um, you look back at some of the uh, creative sponsorships of races inside of tracks, and it's the SpongeBob SquarePants uh, 500 and this movie or, or that uh, uh, cause, and that's all great. But now you have a company that's really a building partner that puts its name on the facility, uh, not just the race. And that must give you some satisfaction, too. Yeah, it does. I think it speaks a lot about um, how the folks at ISM are really viewing this project. Because I think, you know, while it, it clearly is a sports story and a sports marketing opportunity for them, uh, I, I think because it's it really is a bit of a blank canvas in from many respects um, it created a um, an opportunity for them to to build with us a, a show place for technology and you know had we had we just been going through a simple renovation or if uh, we were just selling naming rights i don't think this opportunity would have been appealing to ism i mean it, it really had to have all those all those elements together and um and, and culturally, it was a great fit. You know, we very much want to, um, you know, push the limits that we can in terms of entertaining our guests and being um, leading edge with technology. And, and I think all of those things combined, you know, really created an, an amazing opportunity for ISM and, and frankly, for us as well. And um, it, our fans will be the beneficiary of um, all of this effort and hard work that will be going into this project over the next 14 months. It's, um, you know, I think it's going to be really amazing when it's completed.
All right, Sperber. Now, now, uh, truth be told, uh, the, so this November race obviously is a, it's not a shakeout, but it's in the old naming and the old administration. So, in the next fourteen months, are you are you putting up signs personally? You're going to go down there and ha- hang the ISM banners all over the place. What's your role in this? And are you on schedule? Yeah, no, it's all hands on deck. So uh, there's a lot of work to be done. Um, you know, the, these relationships once they're announced, um, while there's a lot of work that goes into getting us to um, the press conference. Um, you know, after the press conference, there's lots that needs to be done, and, and um, a lot of exciting things that will get worked on over the next 14 months to make sure our final debut in November of 2018 will be the very best that it can be. And so uh, we're all doing all sorts of things to make that, uh, make that reality happen in a big way. Brian Sperber, President, Phoenix International Raceway, or let's say ISM Raceway, starting in 2018. Thanks a lot, and we'll follow this religiously and incessantly uh, before it opens, you can be sure. Thanks, Rick. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. The producer, Alex Cohn. Associate producers, Freddie Joyner and Ryan Warner. Assistance provided by Carlos Swadek, Tanner Simpkins, and Ronnie Sokatch. And the executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Calaruso. I'm Rick Haro. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.